Some people ask, why did God create us if he knew we are going to sin? And it's a very genuine question. Why did God create us if he knew Adam and Eve are going to sin? God had three choices. The first option was not to create us at all. So God could have chosen not to create human beings, not to create us, and we could have been fine, and he could have been fine. With or without us, God will still be God. So that was option one. No humans, no trouble. The second choice was to create us without free will or without the ability to choose. So we can live like a robot. We do what he wants and no punishment, no consequences of our actions because everything we do comes from him. So that's a second option. God to create us as robots, as things, without any right to choose. The problem with that option is we couldn't even be able to love because love is the result of free will. I love my wife because I choose to. She loves me, and I believe so, because she chooses to. We love our children because we choose to. We love because we, are, we have the freedom to love. We can choose to love. So God saw that if he creates us without free will, we will miss out to the things that he enjoys. And he chose the third option, which is create us with free will. Free will comes with its benefit, the ability to love, the ability to hate, the self-control, the ability to control yourself, not to do certain things. But free will comes with obligations. And it doesn't end there. Free will also makes us victims of other people's choices. So we are not only facing the consequences of our own choices, we also face the consequences of people who have lived before us and people around us and people in other countries because we are on the same earth. We, we still share this globe, this planet. So free will comes with its responsibilities, obligations, and consequences. And God thought in his wisdom, infinite wisdom, that the first option was not good, not to create us, was not part of the option. So dismissed. The second option was to create us as robots. And God thought, no, that is not a good solution because he wanted us to enjoy a relationship with him. For us to be able to enjoy a relationship with God, we have to choose him so that he can enjoy that relationship. And he said, I will create you in my image. That means I will give you to benefit, to, 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 to enjoy the same things that I enjoy. And one of them is free, free will. So God enjoys relationship with us because he created us with free will. So the second option was not his option. If you can correct God, which one of the three could you choose? If you think you are smarter than God, which one can you choose? The first one, not to create us at all? The second one, to create us as robot? I'm glad he created us with free will. That's my opinion. I think the third one was the best option, to create us with the freedom to make choices. 
So we are responsible for our, 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 our bad choices and we enjoy the benefit of our good choices. So from creation, God always tried to guide us to make right choices. He did it with Adam, he did it with Noah, he did it with Abraham. He has been always trying to guide humanity to make right choices. He does not always force us to make them. He informs us what is the right choice in a situation. After the failure of the first couple, God tried many, many other ways to help humanity. So he came to a time where he formed a nation for himself called the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, and he gave them the law. He gave them guidelines for them to follow so that they can make right choices. And among those laws, he gave them in their constitution, like the law of the land, God said to them, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one another, against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Just imagine, in the law of the land, God says, love one another as yourself. So the police officers will be at the, uh, on the street trying to find people who don't love one another as themselves. If you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you are arrested and you go to the court and they say, ah, oh, you didn't love one another as, 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 uh, as you love yourself. You go to jail. Ten months paying for not loving your neighbor as yourself. That, I, I would love to live in that country. I would love to live that because Gavin will go to jail every day because of me. He doesn't love me as he loves himself. Gavin, would you go to jail? Probably. <laughs> that was in their constitution. Like it was in their law of the land. Love one another as yourself. As you love yourself. So introducing love in the constitution indicates that love is a choice. People can choose to love or to hate. And this kind of love mentioned here, we call it agape in Greek. It is the unconditional love, the unselfish love God is talking about. It is contrasted with eros, which is the erotic love. That one is not always a choice because you feel something about the person in your life. You feel something about them. Or filial love, which is friendship love. Or stodgy love, which is a family member's love. You, you feel something about your mom or your dad or your sister or your brother. Those are love that we feel. But agape love doesn't need to be felt. Agape love is just a choice to love. There's no way God could have put in the constitution a feeling. God could not ask people to feel for each other. You can't order people to feel. You can't ask people to feel for each other. You choose for each other. It's, it must be a choice. And this love we are talking about today is a choice. When compared to other types of love, agape love is a choice. It's a decision we make regardless of circumstances. The agape love, and that's what we are going to talk about. So when Jesus was asked a question to summarize the 613 laws 
that were given to the nation of Israel, he was asked, can you summarize this for us? Can you tell us which one is the greatest? He said this in Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus has, had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law. He knew all the 613 very well. He tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We did this last week. This is the first greatest commandment. And Jesus continued and said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophet hang on these two commandments. Jesus concluded that if we get these two principles right, the rest will fall into place. Just loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and loving your neighbor, loving people as you love yourself, everything else hangs on those two. So everything else we talk about, do or think or say, will hang on these two. You've heard that before, so let me continue. Everything we will ever learn about God hangs on loving God and loving people. Everything. Everything you will learn in the third session, fourth, five, six, and seven. Everything we'll talk about, we talk about every Sunday. Everything you learn about relationship and life will hang on these two. You get these two right, you get life right. You get these two right, you get life right. And we are not talking about a feeling, we're talking about a choice. We're not talking about feeling that you love God or feeling that you love people. We're talking about choosing to love God and choosing to love people. So if you were not here last week, go and listen to our podcast on the first, the first principle, which is loving God. Today we're going to do the second one, which is love people. Loving people. What did Jesus mean by that? When he said love people. What did Jesus mean by that? The issue with this law is that not everybody loves themselves. Have you met someone who doesn't love themselves? A person who doesn't love themselves? I have. I know people who, who don't love who they are. I know people who don't love the person they are. They don't love the bodies they have. They don't love their families. They don't love who they are. They don't love their circumstances. They don't love who they are. They hate who they are. I know those people. So if you ask someone who doesn't love themselves to love others as they love themselves, you have failed already. Because they can't love you because they don't love themselves. So the standard was already compromised. When you ask people to love their neighbors as they love themselves, you are already compromised. The law is compromised because those who love them don't love themselves. They don't have a reference. They don't have a standard on how to love other people. So this law was compromised. How can we love people as we love ourselves and we have those who don't love themselves? So some people will be in trouble. Because they will be facing actions from those who don't love themselves. So Jesus came up and he said, ah, ah, I need to fix this. I need to fix this. He said in John chapter 13, 34 to 35. 
A new command I give you. He says, no, 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 no. The old one was fallible. The old one had a, a hole in it. it. It was compromised. Let me give you a new command. And he says, you guys, you shouldn't love one another as you love yourself. You should love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The love for others is still standing. The reference has changed. The standard has changed. You don't need anymore to love anyone as you love yourself. Now you have to look at Jesus and see how Jesus loves people. And then you love them the way Jesus loves them. The standard changed with Jesus Christ. Love one another as I have loved you, not as you love one yourself. The new command replaced the old. With the old command, each person was their own standard for the way of loving others. With the new command, Jesus' love became the standard for all. So how did Christ love us? I'm glad you asked. The first one. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you have your Bible, underline, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the, the church and gave himself up. Do you see something there? He loved, gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. First one, giving up yourself for others. Giving yourself up for others is the first way Christ loved us. Christ's love goes beyond loving yourself. It goes beyond loving you. It requires self-sacrifice for others. The old command did not require sacrifice. It required people to love others at the same standard they love themselves. So they can't go beyond how they love themselves. The old command required you just to know how you love yourself and implement the same thing to others. The new command requires sacrifice. It goes beyond our comfort, beyond our convenience, beyond our welfare for others. Christ gave up himself for us. How ready are we to give up ourselves for others? The natural human love evolves around our own interest. We ask ourselves this question. What is in it for me? That's the question we always ask ourselves. Before we commit to marriage, a job or a political party or anything, we ask ourselves what is in it for me? That's the natural love. I've given this example many times in this church and I will give it again today. I don't agree with people who say that they love chicken. I disagree with you when you say, I love chicken. You don't love chicken. Do you know how much pain the chicken has to go through to be loved by you? 
exactly you love the taste of the chicken. You don't love chicken. If you really loved it, you wouldn't take it through the pen. It goes through. You see, we love people for what they give us, for how they make us feel. We love how chicken make our mouth feel. And that's how we come to relationship. We choose friends, spouses, churches, clubs, based on what we get in the relationship. We claim to love people based on how they make us feel. We love celebrities who make us feel good. We don't love them as people. We love how they act, how they sing, how they perform. That's why we follow them on social media. We don't love celebrities for the person they are. We love them for the talent and skills they display. It makes us feel good. Just imagine if we could all commit to loving one another in sacrificial way, loving even when it hurts. Just imagine how we can change the world if all of us would start acting on sacrificial love. Just imagine how many relationships would be rescued if all the parties involved start acting for the benefit of the other. Not your own benefit in a relationship, the benefit of the other. How much of a blessing am I to them? Not how much am I getting from them? Christ's love was sacrificial. He gave up himself. It was a choice he made. God, Jesus was not assassinated. He was not assassinated. He, it was not an accident. He chose to die. He put himself there to die. Can you do the same for the people you claim to love? In addition, Christ's love isn't just sacrificial. It's not blind. Christ doesn't just love us not knowing what he's doing. Christ's love has a purpose. He loves us with a goal. He loves the church to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let's go through that. Making us holy is the second point. Sacrifice is the first one. The second one is making us holy. Holiness is the complete absence of sin. We know that. God is holy and he calls us to holiness. The process of becoming holy is called sanctification. We know that. So how does Jesus make us holy? How does Jesus sanctify us? In Ephesians 5.26, it says, To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So, Jesus makes us holy through the word. How does the word make us holy? I'm glad you asked. Jesus speaks truth to us. We believe in it. We act on it. We get transformed. It is the acting on the truth that transforms us. Without knowing the truth... There can't be transformation. The work of the Holy Spirit in us is to convict us of sin, to expose the truth to us. Stay with me. As we are called to love each other as Jesus loved us, we are also called to speak the truth to each other. It is the truth that sets people free. John 8, 22 said, You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth is not always comfortable, but it's necessary. It is becoming harder and harder to speak the truth to people today. It is hard to know who really loves you when you are already successful in life. When you've made it in life, 
you are surrounded by people who worship you. Most successful people don't have people to speak the truth to them. Because they are surrounded by people who are not there because they love them. They are there for what they get from the relationship. Ironically, those who claim to speak the truth to powerful people, they only focus on failures of powerful people they don't like. Stay with me. It's rare to find journalists today who speak truth to power without bias. We claim to speak truth to people, but what we do is to expose their weaknesses so that people can hate them. That's not speaking the truth to people. That is undermining people. We also watch the news. And I know really, it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you are. You can be a conservative or you can be a progressist. That's fine. That's fine. We, we don't do politics at church. So I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere, as Jesus is. He loves everyone. My problem with the news today is this. If I'm listening to a conservative journalist or channel, they are going to spend time to talk about the weaknesses of a liberal or uh, of a progressist politician. And they will say all the evil stuff about them. If you open a progressist TV channel and you start to listening to the news, you will hear all the evil stuff about SCOMO. Oh, he went to the stadium. Ah, he went to the stadium. How evil is he to go to the stadium? How can he dare go to the stadium? We don't hear the news anymore. We hear opinions. We don't speak the truth as Jesus does to make others holy. We speak the truth to shame people. Speak the truth to undermine people. That is not the truth Jesus is talking about. When Jesus speaks truth to, her, to us, is to make us become holy. He speaks truth to help us change and become more like God. We don't speak truth to help others. We claim that's what we are doing, but we are undermining people. Unfortunately, it is, it, it is everywhere. It is everywhere. We are called to speak truth to each other, not to shame one another. Love never uses weaknesses against people. The truth is meant to build each other up and not to break each other other down. As I said before, truth without love is rudeness and love without truth is hypocrisy. Christ's love speaks the truth to build. Let's be courageous enough to speak the truth and loving enough to build up. Do you give truth in love? Or do you receive truth in love? It, it, it's really becoming hard to tell people the truth. People are so sensitive today to receive the truth. I will continue to tell the truth. Because my prayer is that we all will become like Christ. The third one. Presenting us radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Look at this. Christ did not leave the church to shine on its own. Christ makes the church shine. There is an important lesson here. Christ expects each of his followers to make sure others shine. We don't expect them to shine on their own. You make them shine. Loving others is to make sure they shine. Radiance is a state of reflecting light. A radiant life reflects the light of God to others. We, we are in agreement. Stain represents sin. Wrinkles represents aging or loss of vigor. Blemish represents flaws or weaknesses. 
to present someone radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish is to always think, speak, and act in favor of that person. They say that good news is not news. So people find it appealing to talk about the sin, the flaws, and shortcomings of others. There are businesses or magazines that are built on shaming weaknesses of celebrities. And I'm amazed to see that they are making money buying information about lies and weaknesses of other people. We are buying those magazines. All the weaknesses of celebrities, and you read and say, wow, did he do this? Did he do that? And we enjoy hearing those stories about weaknesses of other people. We have made of gossip a business, and we are buying the product. Oh, the queen did this. Hey, we want to hear. We want to hear. Hey, Prince Charles, hey, we want to hear. What did he, what did he do again? Our ears are itching to hear the bad news about other people, what they've done wrong, where they failed. We want to hear, what did they do? What did they do again? And they're divorcing. Hey, they're divorcing. What did he do? Did he cheat on him? (laughs) Come on, humans. Because the failures of others entertain us. Love always thinks, acts, and speaks in favor of its recipient. That's love. Do you always think in the favor of others? Do you always speak in favor of others? Do you always act in favor of others? This is a challenge. Jesus wants us to always think, act, and, 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 and speak in favor of others. That is love by choice. You choose your word. I will say this to the church. If you don't have any good thing to say about someone, don't say anything. If you have nothing good to say about me, just forget my name. Don't worry about my, my suit. It looks good for me. If you don't like the color, it's okay. Don't talk about it after service. Don't tell your friend tomorrow, our pastor brought a suit yesterday. It was really disgusting. Don't talk about it. Leave my suit alone. It looks good to my eyes. Good. Thank you. You and I agree. Oh, how I pray against gossip in the church. Oh, how I pray for us to learn to silence those who come to us with damaging information about others. Oh, how I pray for me to always think, speak, and act in favor of my wife, my children, my leaders, my church members. Always think, act, and speak in your favor, guys. Love. God, help us to always portray others with love. Help us, God, to always speak about others with love, to always think about others with love, always act for others with love, to make them look good, to make them look without wrinkle, without stain, without blemish. Can we do that, church? Can we aim at making other people look good? That's love. I have 10 questions for you. The first one is, Have you ever considered loving others as Christ loved them? The second question, do you love people in your heart the same way after discovering their weaknesses? Do you always continue to love them after discovering their weaknesses? And the third question, do you bless people in your life unconditionally, continually, and profoundly even when they ignore you or you have an issue when somebody ignores you? And when you come to church and I forget to say hello, do you still bless me in your heart? 
Do you positively pray for those who have hurt you? Or do you say in your prayers for those people who have offended you? God, send your fire and burn and consume. Is that what we say? Let your lightning burn in Gavin's home today. <laughs> no, it's not coming to you. <laughs> I love you, Gavin. I, I, I think, speak, and act for your benefit. Yes. Do you exaggerate stories to make your offenders look worse than they really are? Do you exaggerate stories to make those who disagree with you or those you dislike look bad? Do you enjoy sharing stories involving the failures of others? Do you disclose other people's secrets with an intention to ruin their reputation? Are you able to love those who disagree with you on political or social issues? Are you able to wish your opponent well? The world cannot ignore or resist a community of people who love each other. That is what the church is called to be to the world. Settle in your heart that you will love people as Jesus loves them. It does not matter whether or not they love you back. You love them. If you disagree, you should still love them. If they disagree, you should still love them. Love always thinks, acts, and speaks in favor of its recipient. Can you choose to love? 